0: Hey, what's up, Rockstars? It's is Matt Johnson. We are back again with a very special conversation and one of my favorite, favorite topics, which is focus and specialization. Our guest today is Bob Asfari. We're talking about dialing in profit through the power of focus. So a little bit about Bob. If you don't know him, he's big in the agency world. He's based right here in San Diego with me. Uh, he's a speaker, a sales and marketing strategist, serial entrepreneur, business growth consultant. He's also the CEO of Campaign Creators, which you can check out at campaigncreators.com. Now, basically, we started with the problem. Which is that most agencies, and I think this applies just as much to coaches and consultants as well, especially if we have to pay other people to deliver some of the coaching, a lot of times we end up stuck at this you know ten to fifteen percent profit margin. Uh, and a lot of the reason behind that is because we refuse to specialize. Now, of course, in my production agency, I was very fortunate because I came out of an agency that specialized. That was my frame of reference, and so I knew as I grew the agency, that was the goal. Find the one, Product, the one package that we sold to one type of client, but that's very unorthodox, very unconventional in the agency world, where the vast majority of firms are unspecialized. They do it all; it's a full stack, whatever you want to call it, full service. Um, but the problem is that creates all sorts of challenges in the business. There's operational, cultural, financial challenges that come uh, as a result of not specializing. Uh, and Bob has, you know, very similar and strong opinions about this. So we really drill down into uh, optimization. Uh, we talk about how campaign creators went from a 10 to 15% to a 65% gross profit margin, which is insane. Um, we talk about their pod based approach and why each pod maxes out at seven clients. That's something I'm emulating, uh, in my own business. Uh, and then how to build out the next iteration of your business. This is something I'm also doing, right? Which is what is the future? do you just want to scale up and do more of the same thing for the same types of people and find more ideal clients and build out more pods? Or do you want to shift to something different, which I am, right? So I'm building more of an influencer, thought leadership, whatever kind of business on top of my production agency, right? We will always work probably till the end of time or whatever, uh, and with full service done for you clients. I think for anyone who's in coach consulting or creative services, we always have to have that that base, that foundation, where we roll up our sleeves and see what's working right now with clients. I don't think we can ever lose that connection. Uh, but if you want to build another iteration on top of that, that does something different or leverages your signature process into programs and coaching uh, or books and speaking and things like that, uh, how do you do that? Well, still keep keeping the agency running and profitable and increasing your profit margin over time, that's what we talk with Bob about. So this is a really, really awesome conversation. And, and like with most conversations we have here on the UX podcast, we're talking with someone who's built, uh, in this particular case, an agency. But the principles that we're gonna talk about apply even if you're a coach <clears throat> or a consultant. So I, I hope that you guys listen, check this out. Uh, I know you'll enjoy the episode, so let's jump right in with Bob. Well, Bob, officially, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for
1: having me, Matt.
0: So super pumped because this is going to be a really interesting conversation uh, For those that don't know kind of all the stuff that you've been through and and, and weren't there for your recent inbound conference that at, You know the hubspot inbound conference where you really shared kind of what you've gone through in the last couple of years at the agency uh, Just give us an idea of where campaign creators is at right now And then we'll dive a little bit into the background and kind of explain What we're going to talk about in terms of how you've completely shifted your business model So catch us up to where you are now
1: Sure. Uh, campaign creators, we focus really on just one or two things. It's, it's predominantly lead nurturing. And so essentially, when you generate a lead, what do you it? You mm-hmm. need to nurture that lead to get them prepared to go into a decision-making, purchasing decision, right? So here at campaign creators, we've created our own processes to be able to build out uh, sophisticated workflows that target the middle of the funnel, which is the consideration stage of the buyer's journey. So as you can imagine, if you have a client that's selling coffee online, their funnel is going to be short and sweet and you throw some coupons to their audience and you're going to probably see some conversion. Okay. If you're selling software as a service and you have a hundred thousand plus dollar sophisticated piece of software that you're selling, the journey for the buyer is going to be long and skinny. They need to be educated uh, quite a bit. And we went this direction because the statistics are interesting. Uh, the general consumer on the B2B and B2B, the B2C side are typically around 57% of the way through their buyers, like, like through their own autonomous decision-making cycle right. before they land on your website for the very first time. And they need to be at about 80% of their decision, make their own autonomous decision before they want to talk to a salesperson. And so where we fill the gap is we come in and be able to take that person from that 57 to 80% to get them primed for a sales conversation or get them primed to convert into a customer for the clients that we're working with. And we power everything through marketing automation. And that is really our focus. We don't really do anything else.
0: Yeah. And, and first of all, that's probably the best articulation of, of that right there, what the middle of the funnel looks like and the need, um, that I've ever heard. And I've talked to a lot of people about that, especially in the, um, Uh, like the B2C kind of market because the same thing is happening there in professional services like real estate and mortgage and, you know, coaching and all that, all those types of things. Uh, I've never heard it explained that clearly. And I think that goes back to the fact that you're talking about the same thing all the time. You have one service, essentially one thing, and you're just talking and thinking about it all the time. And it really helps you kind of refine your messaging down uh, because you're having the same conversation over and over again with clients.
1: Yeah, I mean, our our slogan right now is we dominate the MoFu, which is we dominate the middle model, right? And that's really all we do. I mean, we spend, we've created our own kind of process and approach to how we we attack the different challenges that our clients go through. Mm -hmm. And that's our world, you know, before we were a full service agency. Mm -hmm. And now we only have like one component that we stare at every single day. And it's all driven by data and metrics and it's, it's pretty interesting because before, you know, if you're going to be doing branding or graphic design and whatnot, or even writing blogs, a lot of times it's subjective on what your approach is going to be, right? You can take in some information and then come up with like uh, an asset or, you know, try to create something from a subjective nature. Really, when it comes to consumer behavior and how they're propagating and filtering through a funnel, it's all objective based upon what works and what doesn't. And it's constantly making tweaks to the, the, the digital sales process you know, that someone goes through. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liken it to, imagine every time you go into a sales pitch and talk about your company, no two sales pitches are the same because you're learning from the pitch from before and you're making that small tweak or iteration to make sure that you make it that much better the next time. Mm-hmm. And the middle of the funnel is kind of like that as well. It is a digital sales pitch that you're driving somebody through, but you're giving them the ability to take their own path up during their own time. Some people are going to go through it really quickly. Some people might go through it slowly. But that's how consumers want to... They're empowered these days to do that. You know, The yeah. buyer beware mentality has shifted to seller beware. And the power is in the buyer. I mean, take into consideration, if you went to go buy a car 15 to 20 years ago, we had to trust the car salesman because there's really no information about these cars other than the data sheets and whatnot that you might be able to pull and see in newspapers and whatever. But if you were to go buy a car today, you're probably going to have more information and knowledge about the particular car that you're going to buy than the salesperson that's going to come and try to sell you that car, right? So we try to empower and provide that type of knowledge to the personas that our clients are targeting. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting that you. So, getting back to kind of the 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 data driven approach, I wanted to draw a correlation for people because I'm curious about this. You know, for myself too. Um, So, you have a background in like in in the hard sciences, like molecular biology and, and and things like that. So, I'm curious, like if if that was something that was that you were attracted to because of a strength that you already had, or did you learn the scientific method in college and then take that? The scientific approach, and then apply it to marketing using pr- like principles that you learned in school. What, which one do you think that is?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You bring that up. Um, I got my degree in neurobiology, and I spent seven years in a molecular biology lab doing, you know, single transduction research, which is how proteins communicate with each other. And I was that's crazy beaten to death. It was beaten to death by the people I was working with because I was the person that was setting up all the experiments and helping try to evaluate what works, what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And you can only have, you can only try to test one variable at a time in order to understand what is actually happening, right? So basic scientific methodology, you create a hypothesis, you test that hypothesis, and you try to stimulate change by throwing different variables into, let's say, an experiment. And so when we look at from what we do now, right, it's pure digital science and marketing Mm -hmm. science. Because if we're going to launch a campaign... We know that the campaign that we're going to launch, let's call it the minimum viable product campaign that we launch out there based upon what we believe we know, it's going to have to be altered and it's going to have to be changed, right? But the change is going to be one variable at a time. And it's all based on what's working, what's not working. We're taking a look at conversion rates, we're looking at open rates, click through rates for the emails. Are the subject lines need to be tested? We may be split testing. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer to, you know, optimize someone's campaign, but we try to do it step by step so that we're not changing too many things at once. Because if you change too many things at once, you don't really know what effectuated change,
0: right? Yeah. And it's, that was a big revelation to me. Um, I can't remember where exactly I heard it said the first time, but it was somebody who was either Perry Belcher or Todd Brown, guys that are running really big multi-million-dollar marketing campaigns, especially like in the information kind of space where you can test a lot of things and you, you've got a lot of, a lot of time to do it. Uh, basically said, look like no campaign, virtually no campaign works out of the gate. I'm like, wow, that's really, that's really interesting. Cause that's such a, a such a scientific approach to, th- to put together, like to think of a campaign as a hypothesis that, Hey, I, you know, odds are it's not going to work the first time, but I'm going to tweak it until it works, but I'm going to tweak it one thing at a time. And I wish I had had that mentality five, 10 years ago. I'd be further along now. Now I'm really starting to get it like ingrained. Um, but it must have been a huge advantage just having that like internalized coming out of college and then going into marketing and coming into it with that mentality right off the bat.
1: You know, it helps, but at the same time, when you transition from, let's say, science to being an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you're a really bad entrepreneur to start. It's kind of <laughs> so, you know, do <laughs> you forget everything you learned in college? Kind of. It's like, you, kind of, you know, there's those, there's those sayings where like doctors are the worst businessmen, right? Or business people. Because they're forced to run their own business and they have that to learn how to just go hard lots. Yeah. It's you know? yeah, so like you
0: put on a different, a different set of clothes and you forget
1: everything you learned in the last thing. It's, it, it took years to be able to finally get to a point where I can now look at the process we have and say, okay, we now have a process that we can go systematically step-by-step step in order mm-hmm. to determine what's happening before and after. Mm-hmm. And One of the biggest life, the biggest lessons I've learned in owning this business is only provide services that you have really strict process around. And it kind of goes back to, you know, we started off as a full service agency. And if you were to take a look at the laundry list of services we provided, it was absurd. It was like 30 or 40 different things. We said we did it all and we didn't have process for any of it. I mean, could we, could we accomplish the tasks? Sure. But were we doing it profitably? No. And were we doing it to to the absolute best of our abilities? Probably not. And slimming ourselves down to doing one or two things allow us to tighten that process and to apply those methodologies that are really important to give the best results for our clients and to drive the most efficiency internally here as a organization. Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say the side effects
0: on the on the agency side and on the business model are huge. Um, have you, um, and I just picked it up, so I may be a little late to the game. If uh, you read the book, The uh, the Business of Expertise, I guess by I David Bank or something like that. Anyway, he talks about that, You know, it, it goes to your point of like only providing services that you really have a strict process around. Uh, the way that he put it, and which I thought was that really drove the point home for me too, was, what can you offer that you can guarantee the results on? Like, that's really interesting. Like, cause that really forces you to think about, okay, what have I done for clients so many times that I know what the outcome is going to be, at least what the minimum outcome is going to be. And it's like you said, when you offer 40 different things, can you do it? Yes. Do you really know what the minimum outcome is going to be? Probably not. You may give yourself an opportunity for success. But you don't really know what, what results you can guarantee. But I want to dive into the business model a little bit because now that you guys have done that and you've really specialized and zeroed in on the middle of the funnel stage, so you have all these processes and stuff like that, what has that enabled you to do? And why? Like moving away from full service to specialized, like how, how, what does that actually look like now? What advantages does that give you?
1: So there's a little bit of a laundry list. I'll try to go through it real quickly. And then if you want to dive into any of them, let me know. Yeah. When we were full service, you know, there'd be times where we were selling things just to sell them because, you know, a client would come in and they'd say, Hey, in addition to what you're talking about, can you, can you write blogs for us? Can you handle our social media? Can you do X, Y, and Z? And to me, the answer was always yes, because I felt like I was this much closer to closing the deal. And I was like this much closer to upselling the client and getting in more revenue. But although the top line might be positively growing, the ability to, to deliver those services profitably was really never there. And so at the very most, we had a 5%, 10%, maybe on a good month, like 15% profit margin, but razor thin, right? Yeah. Um, brutally thin margins, And it was really difficult for us to stop that train because we were growing. We started with myself and two partners. We started bringing on employees. We got to about 20 some odd people and it was one of those things whenever you brought on a client you Mm -hmm. felt like you had to hire somebody else to help service it and whenever a client left you felt like you had to lay off and it was interesting because i was talking to a couple of um, my friends that own larger agencies And they're like oh don't worry it gets better at like 44 employees but then it gets bad again at around 60 and then it gets like good again around 110 i'm like (laughs) this is crazy like I'm at 10 employees right now. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get to this <laughs> one. Isn't subscribe. that a lovely cycle that you want to go through? Yeah, it's crazy. And I was, you know, what I was also doing by doing this, like, not only having razor thin margins, but I wasn't able to provide my staff with the competitive salaries and benefits that they deserve. And they were also being overloaded. They were handling 15, 20, 25 different accounts. And I, I see a lot of agencies doing that. I heard, some project managers or account managers are, are managing 40 accounts for some agencies. And it's like, how do you service the clients appropriately in that manner? And you're going to run your employee down, you know, to a point where they yeah. no longer want to
0: work. Well, not them. yeah, I was going to say, unless you're offering like, like when, when you talk about like having a very specialized, like if you have a very specialized service with a very precise process, you know, and, and, and processes and staff and stuff like that, I think that's the only time you can get away with handling that many. I can't imagine handling more than like and, an accounts if you're doing more than one thing for people.
1: Yeah. And so one of the things that we realized is our, our employees were not happy. Yeah. I would close a deal and I would get excited as like the CEO and head of business development going, Hey guys, we closed another deal and I'd hear groans in the back room. Oh great. What did Bob sell today? Right. And, exactly. And it got to a point where work live life balance wasn't there for anybody, including myself. And there was no real big light at the end of the tunnel. Like we were just, we were working just to work. Right. And so we got to a point where we made this big shift and the shift was to specialize. And now if you take a look at how we operate, um, we got rid of middle management, we've created pods. So we have a strategist that the strategist becomes that account manager who directly communicates with the client. That strategist is not just the account manager, but they're also the, they, they also do production work, right? They're, they're working within the systems. manager. Yep. They're producing work and they're managing their team. And their team consists of, we call them marketing technologists because they have to have a strong background in marketing and technology. They work, we work within a variety of different marketing automation systems, HubSpot mm-hmm. being the, the primary. And this pod is interesting because you have a content developer, a blogger, a developer that swings from pod to pod. And we don't allow there to be more than five to seven clients per pod because we've identified that after about seven clients, work product becomes deprecated. Uh, There's an overload of, you know, there really isn't the results that we like to see. The relationships that we want our strategists and MarTech to, to develop with our clients starts to get reduced. So we've built this model now where, we went from 5%, 10% profit margin doing like everything to only doing like one or two things with this pod-based approach where we get rid of middle management because we've all played the game operator. We know that when a client talks to account manager, the account manager talks to the project manager, project manager goes and talks to the client services team, there's also a degradation in that communication. So why not have the client services team speak directly with the client? Makes it way more efficient. And... Mm -hmm. Even with only having five to seven clients, we're seeing about a 61 to 65% gross profit margin on the pods, individual pods themselves, with the work that they're doing. We've even seen months where we've gone north of 80% profit margin. Um, And it's strictly by making ourselves way more efficient. We got rid of long-term contracts. We work month to month with our clients. We used to have this model where they would sign up for 12 months and we'd figure out what we were going to do every month. And it was the rinse and repeat. like, we're going to do X number of blogs. We're going to do backlinking, landing pages, lead magnets, and we're going to do it every month. And then four or five months into it, the client might come to us and say, well, hey, can you do X, Y, and Z? And it's like, no, well, you have to pay more. They're like, well, wait a second. Why don't we just take some stuff out and add these things in? Well, that's not the model that we serve here. They get pissed off and they say, you know what? I don't want to work with you anymore. And they leave. So the contracts, whether you have them or not, are going to be broken if the clients aren't happy. So we wanted to make sure that our clients know that we're fighting for them every single month. Mm -hmm. We no longer have long-term... like We don't determine what we're going to do. We have a, a grouping of jobs to be done within three different retainers. We do SEO consulting, lead generation, and lead nurturing retainers. It's a bucket of hours. We have a minimum number of hours per month, 20 hours, 20 hours, and 30 hours, respectively. Mm-hmm. a price point for each one of them. If clients want to add more hours per month, they can. If they want to stop at that number, they can stop. We've had a client go from 30 hours a month to 550 hours a month with us because they were just seeing tremendous results and they kept pouring more gas on the fire. So it's an extraordinarily scalable model. And it's something where if you know exactly what your costs are and you can identify what your agency you know, price is going to be, you can dial in your profit margin and you can have predictive analytics tell you where you're going to be depending on the pipeline and everything else you have. So, and that's essentially what we've done. And it, like my employees leave at four o'clock, five o'clock, they've got a work live life balance. They have five to seven clients that they've built relationships with. We had the ability to fly six people out to inbound this year and have a great week and still manage their clients and come back. It's just that the culture is also way different. We totally restructured how we hire you know, the last part of the hiring process is a team interview and the team doesn't unanimously give a thumbs up on the candidate. I'm not able to provide an offer letter to hire that person.
0: So when you say team, I'm assuming the pod that they would be prospectively working with, right? The entire company, the entire company,
1: and our company's small. I mean, we're about 13 people small, you know, and I like to keep it small. And I don't, every time we hire someone, it's a big deal for us because we don't necessarily need A tremendous number of people now to service the type of clients that we have. We've become Mm -hmm. very efficient at what we do. Um, I believe that my client services teams are some of the best in the country at what they do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of other agencies have hired us in order to help them with their middle of the funnel challenges for their clients, even for themselves. So we we see ourselves as not really being a um, competitor with other agencies. And so now that we're non-competitive because we specialize, we have a lot of partner agency relationships. We provide great value. We believe what we can do in one hour might take another agency two or three, just because we do it every single day and able to benefit from that by providing our services to their clients. And we're here to help provide whatever we can for them. So
0: love it. That was an insane laundry list of (laughs) of benefits. And yeah, like I literally could go down, we could go down a rabbit trail on any one of them. But, um, I, I love the fact that you know, you talk about like specializing in the middle of the funnel, right? So I think the biggest fear that agencies would have in terms of picking out something like that, especially when they don't get to control, let's say the front end, the lead, the pure lead gen is, well, how, you know, how do we work with other agencies, you know, in competing, you know, developing all those relationships. So I love the, just the idea that like, Hey, we're non-competitive because we're specialized and that allows us to have relationships. And then there's a lot of value for you in building relationships with a lot of other agencies um and i i know for me that it's very similar cuz on the podcast production side i feel like that's a very middle of the funnel strategy as well it's it's all it's all content marketing and so i'm on the same way so we have to work and develop relationships with the branding agencies any lead gen that they might be doing and coordinating that with the without, with the stuff that we do um, and mm-hmm. that non competitive type of mentality has been huge like if i didn't have that it would make my job a lot more difficult and I probably would build the agency a lot differently. There is one thing I wanted to come back to, though, with the company being small, and you've gone through this, you know, horrendous experience that we haven't really gone into, and we don't have time to go into on this episode. But um, I mean, near you know, near bankruptcy, going from twenty-four summer, twenty-some employees down to the six, and then rebuilding from there. How has that changed your perspective on how do you grow? And uh, you know, when when somebody wants to like like pour gas on the fire, wants to ramp up hours do you immediately look at, okay, what's the next employee? Do you think about hiring maybe a contractor? Is there a hybrid in there that you're looking at in terms of how you're going to build out you know, the next iteration
1: of your business? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, so when we... Hiring for our company is actually relatively difficult because we have, we're, we're specialized in a really particular niche, right? So yeah. it's really hot, hard to, to hire someone off the street to fill that role. We have a really strong internship program now that we run. Nice. And the internship program that we run it basically grooms these individuals to become the, our junior marketing technologists. So we have like different layers of uh, employee titles, right? Junior MarTech, MarTech, strategist, senior strategist, and then director of strategy, et cetera, et cetera. And that's our feeder really is through our internship program now because they come in for three months or six months or whatever it might be. They're only working on internal projects, but they're getting just a dose of education that they would, wouldn't get anywhere else. And from the groupings that come in, we can isolate and identify who do we want to pick, right? Mm-hmm. Who do, if, if we need to begin hiring. And that's really how we've been hiring our, our most recent hires has been through this internship program and it's worked really well. I would say to the business owners out there like, how do you do this? How do you specialize or you know, what's some of the big pain points? I remember that I was working in fear all the time. Like, I really want to build a strong culture and company and career for myself and for my colleagues and employees here. And when you work in fear, you're always chasing after revenue and you're doing everything you can to be like, Oh my gosh, are we going to make payroll? Oh my gosh, are we going to be able to do this? Is there enough money? And you don't want to make change because if you have a system that's at least bringing in money to make you survive. Mm -hmm. It's really hard from a survivalist standpoint to make that change. And it wasn't until this event that occurred where we had a gun to our head to basically say, you have to make change or file bankruptcy. We made every single change that we wanted to make before that we were not making. And it translated into what we have today, which right now is on a really strong path. And... I work really hard not to operate in fear anymore. Like I look at it and go, we have money in the bank. Our profit margins are good. Our clients are great. You know, my team is amazing. Wouldn't replace them for anything. Yeah. And I'm allowing them to really run the show. And I'm try- And one of the things that I now say the most is I used to say yes all the time because that was my, my mechanism of dealing with my fear. Client says, can you do this? Yes, I can. Can you do that? Yes, I can. And today, you can ask my employees who heard me say yes all the time before, I say no all the time. I mean, I, I've turned down huge opportunities and contracts now because they don't fit perfectly. You know, If they're not the perfect fit, we will not take them. And I feel like every time I say no, I'm actually driving our profit margin. <laughs> Even though <laughs> the revenue in, the, my profit margins are going up because I know that I'm not getting myself into a situation that's going to hurt me six or 12 months down the road, right? So just saying no, I think has been a, it took a lot for me to get to that point. But I would say that we actually turn away probably 80 to 90% of the, what we define as SQLs because they just are not the perfect fit.
0: That, that might be the uh, the quote of the conversation right there. Every time, you know, the more I say no, the more I feel like I'm driving my profit margins up. And I, I know yeah. what you mean, it's, it's funny, because uh, it's something that I've had to work with my business coach on just here over the last few months, is giving myself the internal permission to turn those people away. Right. And it's, it's, it's yeah, really it's, really it's not easy.
1: It's really, really hard. But yeah. it starts to feel better once you know that you can say no. And that pipeline is there and the business is stable and there's, you actually have a savings account for the first time and you go, you know what? We just have to continue. Just dial it in even more.
0: Well, let's finish out with this. Uh, Cause I, I want to honor your time. I know we've gone a little bit over already. Um, so what's the best way to uh, to get in touch with you guys and, and specifically who, who should reach out?
1: Yeah. So campaigncreators.com, our website, you know, our, all our contact information is there. You can always reach out to me, Bob at campaigncreators.com. Um, You can email, email me anytime, um, or call the office and ask to speak to me. I'm here all the time. (laughs) So, but the type of clients and the type of companies that we look for, you know, one of the, one of the filters we have is that if a company doesn't have awareness already put into place, meaning traffic Mm -hmm. being coming in, whether it's SEO or paid, they're probably not a good fit off the bat because the type of work that we do, it's like building a pretty sophisticated amusement park. Right. And so I liken it to why are we going to build this amusement park with all these workflows and marketing automation and like multiple different steps and everything else um, if there's no roads that are going to lead to it, right? So it's like the chicken and the egg. You do need good infrastructure in order to not only generate a lead, but to nurture the lead. But most importantly, you need traffic already there. So we work relatively industry agnostic. We do have a few niches or verticals that seem to gravitate towards us. B2B technology, consumer packaged goods, those are fun for us. Um, education, somehow we have 12 or 13 colleges that we've been working with in universities. So okay. those three buckets. Um, but you know we we understand the consumer behavioral process, whether it's going to be a short, fat funnel or a long, skinny one. And we have a custom approach to everything that we do. It's not an out-of-the-box solution. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're willing to talk to pretty much anyone that's interested in lead nurturing. and bringing in marketing automation to power it.
0: Very cool. Love it. Well, that's awesome. Well, we'll have to, uh, we'll catch up with you again. Uh, hopefully bring you back on the show to talk a little bit deeper about some of the other stuff that we didn't get a chance to talk about because there there's literally so much, but yeah, just, um, everyone i encourage everyone to check that out and and go to campaign creators and, and just look at what you guys are doing keep in mind for referrals and and if there's any other agency owners out there that want to build relationships with you to, to reach out do that too because there's all, obviously all kinds of ones that are in adjacent kind of either way whether it's lead generation or doing things that you guys don't do um and, and hopefully right. you guys reach out and connect with you that way too so i really really appreciate the time
1: matt thank you for having me i really appreciate joining you this morning Hey, Rockstars.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate you investing your time, your effort, your energy into the show. I don't take that lightly. I so appreciate uh, you all listening and the feedback that I get from those of you who listen and engage with the show. Uh, Whether you agree or disagree with the things we talk about, I love hearing from you. So please reach out. And if you are in the audience and you're a business coach, a consultant, or you're in creative services, and you're thinking about using guest appearances on podcasts and interviews to boost your business, grow your brand, build more influence and attract ideal clients, or maybe you're watching other people in your space do that and you're wondering if this strategy will work for you and how to make that work. Uh, I did a special training with a client, Dana Malstaff, uh, who runs the Boss Mom Podcast. We produce her show. And we did a training all about that. And it's called How to Get Featured on the Right Podcast and get your ideal clients flocking to you. And a few of the things that we covered in that training, it's, it's short, it's content packed, it's only about 35 minutes long. And we talked about how to get featured on podcasts in less than two hours a week, how to find the exact right podcast for you and make friends with those podcast hosts, how to become micro-famous so you're known, liked and trusted in your space and really how to, uh, how to craft a story hook uh, that really gets the attention of podcast hosts and gets them to say yes when you reach out and pitch yourself as a guest. And so we talk about all that and a bunch more in that training. So it's available at how to That's how to pop your information in there. It's free and you get it in, you know, instant access to watch. You don't have to wait for a follow-up email. You don't have to wait for a fake webinar. That's not actually live. None of that. It's a recorded training. You get instant access. So go check it out. I'd appreciate it. And I've said it before on previous episodes, this is my number one marketing strategy for myself. For 2019 and i learned a lot of these things in the process of building the system for myself and my staff to pitch me as a expert guest on podcasts and whenever somebody one of whether it's one of my own clients or my friends and peers and colleagues in this space that we all run in it's my number one recommendation for them to, to grow their brand, build their influence, and attract ideal clients. So if that's you and you want more of that, go check that out. That's at howtogetfeatured.com. Thanks again so much, and we'll see you on the next episode of the UX Podcast.